Hello and welcome to The Politics of Peterborough, the podcast where we chat with the people who have been elected to make decisions about our city and those who try to influence them. I'm your host, Dave Adcock. This is part two of my conversation with Paul Stainton, so if you haven't listened to the first part yet, stop the podcast here and go and listen to that part first. We'll still be here when you get back. Don't forget, if you have any questions that you'd like me to put to future guests, or if you have any feedback on the episodes, please send us a tweet, direct message us on either Twitter or Facebook at politicspboro, or send an email to politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. On with the show. Now, we're just a couple of months away from the next local election, so I want to get your thoughts on the state of each of the local parties. The Conservatives have run the council for 23 years, And when I suggested to leader Wayne Fitzgerald on this podcast that maybe it was time for a change with fresh ideas, his response was that he'd only been the leader for a year, so he was the change and he was bringing the fresh ideas. (laughs) Why do you think, with your knowledge of of the people of Peterborough, your ear to the ground, why do people keep voting Conservative after all this time? First of all, I've known Wayne since 1989. Okay, We were DJs together. And Wayne is is an amazing self-publicist and... um, he he thinks he's got all the ideas and all the, the go-ahead. I, I can't think of one new idea that Wayne's brought to the party in Peterborough um, since John Holditch left. It, and it's the same administration doing the same things. You know, they froze council tax for, I don't know how long, 10 years, 11 years, took the grant from the government. You know, anybody with half an eye would have gone, well, if you freeze council tax, the income's going to go down. If they take the grant away, the city's going to be bankrupt, which is essentially what happened. You know, there are other factors too, but that's... You know, so for him to say he wasn't part of that when he was deputy leader is disingenuous to say the least. Why do people keep voting for the Conservatives? It's a good question. I mean, we're a rural community. Um, that seems to play into uh, Conservative hands. Maybe they're all happy with it. Maybe they're happy with Peterborough going bankrupt. I don't know. Maybe they're happy with the status quo. Maybe it is that apathy. If everybody voted, I can't believe that would be the case. You know, if young people actually voted or could be bothered to vote, thought they could make a difference. I, I think the other politicians struggle to get their messages across. I think politicians in general struggle to get their messages across. So I think the Tories have got hardcore voters. They'll vote all the time. So you've got 20, 20, 20% of Conservatives that will vote all the time. They'll always do it. I think the rest of the electorate... It's pretty free, you know, I think Labour has probably got a hardcore of voters. And then the rest of the electorate is pretty free-flowing. If you could get, you know, 25% of the 70% who don't vote to vote, I think it will be a completely different picture. And I think there will be a different picture this time around. I think turnout could be higher, I hope. And I think there will be a slightly different picture. I think there'll be some surprises and shocks because people are genuinely broke, fed up, and sick of it all. They do want to change. And whatever Wayne has said before, you know, if you speak to average normal people on the streets, people that used to listen to my radio show, stop me in the street, um, they want a change. They want things to be different. I'm not sure they know what change they want, but they want it to be different. Locally, Labour, despite nationally having a massive lead in the polls, seem to be a party in disarray. Uh, since the last local election, they've lost three councillors, two of them having been deselected for the next election, uh, and now the leader has resigned and is standing down as a councillor. They've gone from potentially leading a rainbow coalition uh, to failing to even keep themselves together in the space of 12 months. What is going on? I think in Peterborough, Labour is a, a unique beast. I think it's 
it's a, a disparate group of of people from all sides of the party. And I think that it's, it's, it's difficult to keep them on message. It's difficult to keep them pointing in one direction, I think. And, and having spoken to Shaz many times, uh, I think he found that too. And I think for him, he's given it his best shot. I mean, he got the numbers last time. He could have taken over. Whether it would have worked is another question. But he did get the numbers. So I think he, he almost got it over the line. And he almost kept everything together. But I, th- I think, you know, what, whatever you say, that most of them's hearts are in the right place. They all want different. They all want change. They all want better for the city of Peterborough. It's just bringing Labour together. It's such a wide church, I think. You know, it's, it's a bit like the, almost like the Conservatives, really. There's, there's the wide right and the wide left. Um, and I know people in the Conservative Party who have flitted with moving out because it's gone a bit too far right and I'm sure it's the same in the Labour Party. They just tend to be a lot more vocal. And obviously there's the edict from Keir Starmer as well about um, anti-Semitism or anything that looks like or smells like anti-Semitism um, has to be rooted out. I mean, I know Ansar Ali. I've known him for, you know, since again, since 1990. There's no bone in his body that is nasty or brutal. But he does have some views on Israel and Palestine, which, you know, in my view, I think are valid. Do you think we're likely to see a repeat of the last local elections where Ed Murphy stood as an independent candidate in Ravensthorpe, having been ousted as a Labour member, and the result was a Conservative gain? I think Ed loves the limelight. He loves the council. He loves fighting for what he believes in. Um, I would be surprised if he didn't stand. Um, I think he feels he was wronged. It's a shame, really, that that everybody can't come together, really. You, you want people to be on the same page and the same message so that we can affect a bit of change. But it's possible Ed will stand and split the vote again in Ravensthorpe and hand but, it to the Conservatives. I mean, also in terms of the other three who have left the party in the last 12 months, obviously two of them because they've been deselected, so we know there are other candidates there. Uh, it's likely that uh, Heather Skibstead will face a challenge from Labour as well. Now yeah. she's a Green. Is it likely that in all three of those wards we could see a Conservative game because the split in the vote? Well, it, it doesn't always work well when you change parties mid-term. And I, I think, you know... Well, the, the last time someone won... Uh, for a different party was John Fox in about 2002. Good old John. Now there's a council who's in it for the right reasons. I think, potentially, I think Labour will pick both of those up. I I think just because you you change colours. It depends how well known and liked you are in the community. I think with Ed Murphy it's different. He's well known. He's campaigned for people for many years. Uh, He deeply cares about um, issues in the community. And you can never take that away from Ed Murphy. The other two, I'm not so sure. I, I think they'll... Labour will probably take those seats. Councillor Nick Sanford on this uh, podcast last month said that a good result for the Lib Dems in May would be to maintain the seats they currently have. Does that lack of ambition sum the party up? Well, I'm not going to have a go at Nick. I like Nick. Uh, I've known Nick a lot of years. But, yeah, I think there is a lack of ambition. I think if if you're going to affect change, then you you need to move forward. You need to offer the people of Peterborough a vision. And I think this is the problem with with all of the parties, really, to some extent. What is the vision? What are you going to change? How are you going to make it better? You know, I'm sat here, I can't afford to go out, I can't afford, I'm out of work, you know, I can't afford shopping, I'm using a food bank. Um, How are you going to make my life better? And the, 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 the true answer is that even the ruling Conservatives can't really do a lot because the city's effectively bankrupt and, you know, we're effectively under special measures. You know, they have to do as they're told. 
They have very little wiggle room. So the city is in a straitjacket at the moment and it needs to burst out of it. And there needs to be some blue sky thinking, awful phrase. There needs to be some fresh ideas. There needs to be a vision. And this is the, the problem with the city centre thing and the Bridge Street thing. They've just let it fester. There's been no overall plan for the city centre, no visionary thinking of how we're going to plan it. Opportunity Peterborough sleep at the wheel for the last 10 years. You know, big salaries and a sleep at the wheel. We've got opened a restaurant. Well, another one, we haven't got a bar. What have we got for the university students on Bridge Street? Virtually nothing. You know, there's a, there's a guy opened a restaurant um, just under the Parkway Bridge around the corner from the university. He's doing roaring trade. He's, I think it's called Uniburgers or something. He's, he's doing a roaring trade. He opened six months before, thinking, oh, the student's coming. He's packed. Where's the vision from anybody else? You know, people are getting paid thousands to run the city. Opportunity Peterborough, salaries. You know, come on. You know, stop opening pizza houses and burger joints. Put it all together. You know, it's, it's not spokes. We need a hub in the middle of the spokes to make a wheel, yeah? Since the last election, the Greens have gone from losing their leader, Councillor Julie Stevenson, who then resigned from the party entirely due to what she said was bullying from within, to find themselves with more councillors than they've ever had before in the city. However, three of their four councillors are either former Labour councillors or have previously stood as a candidate for the Labour Party. Is that a problem for their identity? Well, anybody can change their mind. Anybody can have an epiphany, but for three of them to have epiphanies is, is a bit difficult. I know Julie really well. I think she's one of the best councillors in the city. I know she's not been very well, so uh, if you're listening, Julie. I think she epitomises what a councillor should be. Hard-working, you know, on message, really, really goes the extra mile for everybody in a ward. And as I said to you about the previous question about whether the, the two Labour guys that have gone to the Greens will keep their seats, I'm not sure they will because they're not Julie. Julie is so well known. I'll be astonished if she loses her seat. But the others, they're, they're, I think it's just a case of changing, changing the colours on the on the cap, you know. And I think it's a matter of time before somebody in those wards comes up and just unseats them. I think the newly created Peterborough First Party also have four councillors, two of which are former Conservative councillors, which is apparently the reason the Rainbow Coalition failed to materials last May, as Labour decided they didn't want to work with any form, former Conservative councillors. With the new leader, uh, Labour leader in place, do you think they could hold the balance of power in a couple of months' time? Possibly. I think they, they will, the seats where they're up, I think they will retain. I think it's just Judy Fox, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's up for election, and Judy is incredibly well-liked in, in Warrington and um, incredibly hard-working, as is John, who I've known many, many years. Perhaps talk more about him when we talk about the hydrotherapy pool. Um, but I, I think they, they will hold the balance of power. Whether they will go along with it again after being left at the altar last time, I'm not so sure. I think all of them want change. All of them are unhappy with the present Conservative leadership in Peterborough. All of them are unhappy with the decisions that have been made on various things, not just in Warrington, but across the city. I mean, I was having a coffee with John Fox the other day in, in Bridge Street and he just turned to me and said, look how filthy it is. Everywhere is filthy. Why? 
why is there nobody down here? Why footfall again? Why is there nobody down here at eleven o'clock in the morning? Why are there no shops down here that people can shop in? Um, so you know we were chewing the fat. But I, I think if if he, if he felt it was going to survive, I suppose if if the Peterborough First guys felt that the coalition could hold, they may go for it again. Yeah, but they will, I think, definitely hold the balance of power. Yeah, they may have other candidates yet. You never know. Now, normally one of the quick-fire questions at the end of each podcast is to ask what three things the guests would change if they were put in charge of the council. <laughs> I want to give you a bit more time to get your thoughts on this, as you've previously said that the city has, quote, a lack of vision and planning. So here's the scenario. It's May 2023. Councillor Paul Stainton has just been made leader of the council at the head of a rainbow coalition, which has seen the end of 23 years of Conservative rule in the city. Has Wayne Fitzgerald had a heart attack yet or not? <laughs> what are your first five priorities, policies or plans to move Peterborough in a better direction? Five policies. Number one, clean everywhere. I would literally get whoever's in charge of cleaning. I forget who it is now. Is it, is it, is it Peterborough Limited or whatever? They, Maybe it was Aragon. I'm not sure Aragon. what it is now. Well, whoever you are, um, I, I would ensure that there's far more cleaning of the place goes on. Um, number two, I would get Opportunity Peterborough in and every interested party in the city and bash their heads together and say, right, you need to come up with a five-year, 10-year, 15-year, 20-year plan and vision for the city, starting with the city centre and work out. How do we integrate it all? What do we want in there? How do we keep it? How do we entice people back into the city centre year-round, not just at Christmas? I'd ban them from putting any massive carbuncular ice rinks on Cathedral Square, which look a mess. That's two. Three, I would do all that I can working with local business and the university, which is where we are today, to attract higher-paid jobs to the city. For instance, I'm walking around the university today. You know, the work they're doing with engineering and, and, and some of the courses they've got here, bringing the practical and the theory together, will appeal to people in, in Cambridge, on campuses in Cambridge. Pull some of those jobs to Peterborough. Start campuses here. You know, bring those well-paid jobs instead of people just having to go to Little and Amazon and places like that. The low-paid economy in Peterborough really holds the city back. So that's three. Four, sort out the football stadium. Where's it going? We need it. We need something in the heart of our city that drives footfall, that drives people in here, that's used more than just twice a month, which is the plan, I believe. I know it's difficult negotiating with Mr McCantony and his friends, I know, because I've been told in the past. I know what goes on behind closed doors, and I know it's a football club, but you've got to take them at their word, you've got to drive that forward. If it goes on the embankment, you've got a lot of people to placate. If it goes somewhere else, you've got to placate the foot, but you've got to put it somewhere, and it needs doing soon. Uh, and number five, well, I, I, number five is fly tipping, because it is a problem right across this city. What would I do if I could? I'd, I'd, I'd bring in tougher fines, tougher sentences, more people patrolling it, more CCTV. I would make the penalties for doing it astronomical. I know you can't do that. I'd put people in prison for it. If you dump a load of stuff on a beautiful place, you go to jail for a week. And if you do it again, you go to jail for six months. And, and it's, people are simply put off. They wouldn't do it anymore, you know? 
or you 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 know find their business so much they lose their business. There are things you can do, but I, I feel like it's just oh, we're tackling fly tipping. Are you? Because it's still going on. It's been going on for years. So those are five things. I'm sure there are millions of others that, you know, once I got in, I'd like to do. Get rid of the people holding Peterborough back. Drive it forward. Make it like it was in the 90s. Buzzing. Booming. You know, it's gone for the last 15 years. Was it parties putting their own interests ahead of the cities when they voted not to move to all at elections every four years rather than vote in thirds as we do currently? I don't understand why they wouldn't vote in all-out elections. I think the only reason you wouldn't vote for that is if you were scared you were going to lose your seats. I can't see of another reason for doing it. I mean, the reasons the smaller parties put across is it's difficult for them to put up potentially 60 councillors at a single election. Do better. Attract people. If, you, if your message is good enough, people want to stand for you. People want to be a councillor. I think that's a cop-out. I, I really do. I think if, if you have an election every four years, you've got four years to get some candidates. You, you shouldn't be doing it two months before. Your message should be there. People should be working in the community before that, part of what you're trying to do, knowing that they're going to stand in that particular place in Peterborough. Maybe we don't need 60 councillors either. You know, Charlie Swift was right. Maybe we just need 40. In some wards, there's three councillors. That's just ridiculous. You know, they've got no power anyway, as Charlie said. You know, there's only a few people on that council got power, and they all sit in the cabinet. Does the way we have the elections at the moment, do you agree that it does lead to short-termism with the annual election cycle? Well, it's bound to, isn't it? Because you're bound to, or certain, certainly the majority of people, are bound to put their own personal interests first, aren't they? They think, I need to get elected, I need to get elected, I'll say this, I'll say that. And then you get in there and realise, well, I, I can't do that. And, and then, you know, the Conservative whips in there and says, well, no, no. What do you say that for? Well, don't say that again. Uh, and then all of a sudden it goes away. All the things that were pro- some of the things that were promised disappear. So I'm sure it happens with Labour as well. Yeah, I think it would be better if, if it was once every four years. Then you, then you can plan. Whoever gets in can say, right, I'm setting my stall out for four years. But I think ab- above and beyond all of that, going back to the five things that I would do, I think the organisations that sustain the opportunity of Peterborough and all these, they, they should be tasked with making sure the five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan for the city continues. It should be signed off by all councillors, all agreed to it. Surely it's in everybody's interest to make this city vibrant. We've got this amazing university. What else in the city is vibrant? Can, can you think of anything? Can you think of anything that, that you think in this city is, wow, I'm struggling? You know, we used to have a vibrant nightlife. Hmm. We used to have a vibrant city centre at Christmas. Hmm. You know, I parked the week before Christmas in Queensgate on level five. When I worked at Harrowwood in Queensgate in 1990, I was on the top. Couldn't get in at nine in the morning. Buses came in from everywhere. They don't anymore, you know. So what, what can we do with the city that makes us want to go, wow, you know, you know Opportunity Pebro, you get paid a lot of money. What have you got? Where are you? What are you doing? I mean, is that in part because of the changing nature of society we've moved to a an online culture rather than people going out and seeing meeting up for a coffee in the city center going shopping in the city center instead you know when yeah, I when I spoke to to Wayne Fitzgerald he said you know most most things these days people just go and buy on Amazon they don't come into the city center to buy it oh god Benny he's so short-sighted though isn't it you know that's the guy that told women not to have children unless they could afford them hmm. nice bloke 
What I would say is, how long have we had the internet? When did it start being a thing? Night, late nineties. Yeah, two thousand. So you're telling me, in the last twenty-three years, nobody in Peterborough has thought, hmm, what if everybody starts buying stuff online? What do we do with the city centre? So nobody's thought that. And if they haven't, just quit now. Just resign en masse. Because they can't have done. Because it's just piecemeal. Oh, we've lost John Lewis. Well, why didn't you work harder to keep it? Why didn't you give him free rent for five years? Because it was that important to the city centre. You should have been... Paul Bristow, instead of writing a letter, one of his letters, instead of writing another letter, you should have been banging on, giving them free rent. Keep them in the city centre. Even if it's a lost leader for John Lewis, they would have stayed if it was free rent. You know, it, it's those sorts of things, looking ahead, thinking, what's going to happen in the next five years? So in 2000, you're thinking, well, the internet's coming, people are shopping more online. Perhaps we're not going to need these massive stores or we're not going to need this space. So let's develop a city centre that's more about community, that's more about people, you know, enjoying time in the city centre, not just, you know, pizza restaurants, but, you know, nice pubs, nice bars, nice spaces, nice areas they can come and do other things. Because... I fear the way Peterborough City Centre's going, it's going to be overrun with cheap flats, cheap apartments, the shops are all going to go, and it'll become a place where people don't want to go. Not just at night, during the day. There's a beautiful restaurant owned at Broadway called Katana. Ronaldo's opened it. Who's walking down Broadway to that at 10 o'clock at night? My wife isn't. I don't think I am, to be fair. So, do you know what I mean? It, it's already getting that edginess, particularly at night time. And it needs to stop. We need to take back control of the city centre and make it a vibrant place and then work out to Millfield and other areas and make them, you know, accessible and, you know, alive. Now, you mentioned earlier that we're sitting in the ARU University building currently, and a couple of months ago we had Professor Ross Renton on the podcast. Uh, do you think that this is a place that will make as big a difference to the city as he, the council, and Paul Bristow have all suggested? It will, and I think as long as they achieve what they've set out to achieve and the number of students that they hope to bring here, it will. It will, it will as it is at the moment, it's a slow start, it's, it's a gradual thing, but I think he's, he's got the right staff on board. I mean, the assistant principal that we both met today is a guy called Jamie Jones. He's a local boy. He's a Peterborough United fan. He's a, a failed author. He, <laughs> it's a good book, though. It's called I Blame Morrissey. Um, but he's, he's a person that will drive this forward because he knows the city. He understands the city. He knows how it ticks. He knows what it needs. We were talking earlier about, you know, higher-paid jobs, and we were having that discussion before we started this about how they can attract these courses can attract businesses from Cambridge and other areas and bring them in. There are school kids here from Corby today, that are, you know, so they're reaching out to other areas to bring those children to Peterborough to go to university, and they've got the overseas students. So, yes, I think it could be, should be, a shining light for the city. It's. Maybe 30 years a bit too late, but, you know, they couldn't get everything right in the new town development. They did a lot of good stuff. But it's here, it's working, and it's, and it's bringing people here. It really has to drive that higher-wage economy, though. It has to bring people in and offer those jobs so people can come straight out of here into £30,000, £35,000 a year jobs, moving up the ladder. That way, Peterborough lifts, everything lifts, 
But again, get the offer right for the students that are coming. Let's look ahead. We mentioned we've had the internet for 23 years and Wayne's just decided that people now go shopping on the internet. L look ahead, you know, these students are coming. So plan for it. You know, build things, you know, and they will come. Now, it sits on the edge of the embankment, which you mentioned earlier. It must be one of the most talked about parts of Peterborough since the master plan was released a year ago and since the Peterborough United came up with their idea of moving mm -hmm. the, the stadium there. Um, <clears throat> as well as the university, we've said there's the potential for the arena, there's the regional pool, the athletics track, the key theatre, so many different aspects to the space. Where do you feel its development should go over the next decade? If it was down to you. Well, I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to say I would put the stadium on the embankment. Um, a lot of people won't like that, and I'll give you my reasons why. Football stadiums don't work out of town, or very rarely. Um, the, and if they do, if you do put them out of town, the money doesn't come into the city. So you've got the stadium in the city. There needs to be a commitment from the people building the stadium that they will safeguard quite a bit of the green space. They need to offer some olive branches, to not, not just to the people that are upset, but also to the council. There needs to be safeguards in place so that they stick to those olive branches. It needs to be more than a football stadium, which I think is their plan. You know, they want to make money out of it, obviously. It, it, you know, I, I envisage a stadium that, that has got massive concerts, which we haven't got at the minute, that has big comedy nights, that has a beer festival co completely in it. You know, which it would be big enough to host. You know, it has all these things that happen on the embankment in it anyway. So people say, oh, well, what about the beer festival? Well, yeah, it's once a year. It can go in there. That's absolutely fine and on the outskirts of it. Um, but we need to make sure that it doesn't envelop the embankment. You know, the car parking spaces don't envelop it. But what it will do then, not only does it bring all that investment in, all that money in from the people visiting, it opens up the riverside which if you've been to Leeds, Newcastle, Cardiff in particular, very similar, cafes, restaurants, you know, with safeguards for, for the greenery, then you get the bridge over the river, then that opens up the south bank, then all of a sudden you've got this amazing jewel. We talked about what's amazing at the minute. Well, the university's pretty amazing. This would be pretty amazing. It would, it would completely re-energise um, that side of the city centre and around the river. And that would be, in 10 years' time, we'd be saying, well, what were we thinking? It's just amazing. It's, it's fantastic. I can go see a rock concert. I can, I can go and have a coffee by the river, you know. And you're reclaiming it, because I understand the argument for green space, but the only people using it really at the minute, a few drug addicts, a couple of dog walkers, there's never anybody down there. No, I, I walked through it on my way to the, the university building this afternoon and from the side that I could see there was one man and his dog and one man and his tent and those were the only people. Now it's not a particularly beautiful day today, it's not massively warm, it's a lunchtime, you know I can't, I can't say for all times of day but certainly you know at that moment in time it was, it was yeah. quite sparse. You've got to be careful, I mean you know there are sensibilities around the, the height and the cathedral views, they need to be taken into account. Uh, and it may be that, that the stadium has to go over the parkway, but it needs to be accessible and in the city centre to help open up that embankment. Because at the minute, I, I think it's a wasted opportunity. It could be, it could be a crown jewel. Do you feel the people that speak against it is that nimbyism? No, I don't. No, I, I no. Every, look, people are entitled to their opinion. You know, they they want to keep that space as a green space. They want to see 
the heart of the city, ha- have greenery in it and, you know, the wildlife and, and nature protected. And I absolutely agree with that, which is why I said I think there has to be olive branches from the football club and they need to be held to them. We don't need another market scenario. It all needs to be out in the open. It needs to be black and white. There needs to be safeguards put in place. And if it is going to go there, as much as you can, people need to be listened to and placated. Nobody's going to be happy completely. But when is anybody happy completely? Everybody's got to make compromises. And I think this is a compromise worth making if it's done right for the good, for the future of this city. Because I think that the Riverside, the stadium, puts the city on the map. It's seven months since the council confirmed that St George's Higher Therapy Pool wouldn't be reopening after closing during the pandemic. Does that council have it right that in such tight financial times when they've had to close a £21 million deficit to create a balanced budget for the coming year, that funding a non-statutory service such as hydrotherapy just isn't feasible? Well, they wouldn't have had to fund it. The deal that was in place um, with the gentleman that was going to buy it, all it required was that it was brought up to spec. All of a sudden, at the last minute, that deal was pulled. uh, And instead of 70000 to bring it up to spec... Some reports said it was 140, then it was 300. Um, it, it, it was almost as if reports were produced to ensure the sale didn't happen. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs. I've not seen all the paperwork, but it seemed very, very odd to me that the hydrotherapy pool could have been saved. This is a pool, by the way, that delivers about £1.5 million pounds worth of benefit to Peterborough. You know, the people that use it, that's how much it's worth to the city. And that's uh, the hydrotherapy users group that, that did that research. But it's not just that. It's, it's, it's about the human cost. It's about those poor folks who, for two years, had no pool. So people in Peterborough, the, the worst disabled people in Peterborough, people struggling, people really badly disabled, had nowhere, didn't have that release, didn't have that pool for two years, didn't have any information for two years, you know, were not contacted... And then were given that hope that the pool was going to be sold, it was going to be redeveloped and reopened at a reasonable cost, guaranteed for the users. Something like four or 500 people, I think. And then the rug was pulled. I still don't understand it. There's still no rational explanation. And then the kick in the teeth today to all those users, they're going to use it as a polling station. Which I, I just... Whoever came up with that and released that information did they not stop to think you know what effect that would have on the users of that hydrotherapy pool how that would play out to those poor people who I mean they can I know they can go to the live academy and and, and swim there for for more money but Peterborough needs a hydrotherapy pool I I go back to when I was on the radio many years ago when Peterborough breakfast show so you know probably 15 years ago 14 years ago um and the campaign then to save it and John Fox was on the radio and was very vociferous, as he was this time around. You know, there's been campaigns to save it because it's really, really important for very badly disabled people in Peterborough. It's their only escape. It's their only place they can go. And to take that away, I don't think without good reason, I, and particularly when there's a deal in place. And then to offer false promise of a new hydrotherapy pool, which I've not seen sight nor sound of, 
or planning application or anything, despite the tweet from our, our local MP. And even if it is built, what, two years' time? Two and a half years? Three years? Uh, I, I think it's absolutely wrong. Um, and it, it is just another example of the people that run this city going la, 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 to the people of this city. I know when I, I spoke to Councillor Fitzgerald about it back in October time, I think it was, his explanation was that they had this deal in place and they had a new head of finance or some other part of the, the council that came in looked over the deal and said this is a very bad deal for the city in terms of the finances I don't know any more than that that was the explanation that he gave obviously by not uh, selling it off for private use they also have the option of passing it on to the school to allow Heltweight to expand those were the reasons that were given to me at the time when I asked yeah I heard all that yeah Um, but you have to weigh things don't you you have to weigh things as a politician or as a human being. What what gives most benefit right now? And, you know, it, it the deal was done. They reneged on it. It was a gentleman's agreement, and it, the gentleman was ready to sign the papers. Um, I think it's an awful way to treat businessmen. It's an awful way to treat disabled people. And I think you, you'll be judged at some point, whether that's at the ballot box or wherever and I think um, it, it would have been absolutely ideal to keep the hydrotherapy pool open and the deal was there and it should have been done and I still don't get it. Now I, I watched an interview after his passing that you did with Charles Swift about mm-hmm. five years ago he spent over 60 years as a councillor in Peterborough firstly for Labour and then latterly as an independent do you think such a straight-talking, honest-to-the-point individual would stand any chance of getting elected nowadays in the city? Are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, how times have changed. Well, I'd hope, I'd hope they could, uh, and they should. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's, I've explained my reasons why I haven't stood. But people will listen to this and vehemently disagree with a lot of what I say, and that's fine. I'm happy with that, that's fine. And things I've said on the radio, I'm sure people, although within the constraints of the BBC, I'm sure people vehemently disagree with things I've said on the radio. But I'm not doing it from a, a place of self-interest. I'm not doing it from a place of ambition. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've reached higher in life than I, you know, with the TV and radio than I ever thought I would, you know, a young lad growing up in a pit village in South Yorkshire, or could. Um, so everything I say, it comes from the heart and comes from a, a good place. You know, when, when I talk about Bridge Street, I do want it to be busier. Don't lie to me. Don't tell untruths. Don't reveal false narratives. It's not busy. Let's make it busier. You know, the embankment could be brilliant. I know Save the Embankment will be going, ah, Paul's name, they'll be on my Facebook next week or whenever you post this. That's fine, because we can have a discussion, you know. And I go back to the, the American thing about polarising views where people don't talk to each other anymore. And I'm a great believer in, in having these debates, and we should have them. But... You know, whether outspoken people like Charlie would get elected these days, I'd hope so, but it's become a rare trait. Everybody's managed now. Everybody's been media trained. Everybody's got a narrative. Everybody's got key messages. And I should know because (laughs) I've helped create it. (laughs) It's my fault. Um, But I can see beyond it. I can hear it anyway. I can hear, you know, bridging and key messages and all that sort of stuff, you know, what I would call bullshit. Uh, excuse me um, and 
people are so ingrained in that now, you very rarely hear a politician tell it like it is. Offend or please. I suppose, what's his name? Les um, Anderson, is it, from Mansfield? Lee Anderson. Lee Anderson, the, the Tory. I mean, I disagree with everything he says. I think he's an absolute idiot. Um, but he's straight talking. Allows you to disagree. He will debate. I mean, we have two independents on the council currently, uh, both elected for a party and then chose to leave or were pushed, I guess, in the case of Ansar Ali. I don't know the last time that an actual independent was elected as an independent on the council. Can, can an independent get elected or do you have to have that party body behind you in Peterborough? I think if you were... I mean, if, I think if I stood, I stand a pretty good chance because people know me for good or bad. <laughs> uh, and then and I, I think the vast majority of people respect what I say comes from my heart and it comes from a good place, despite what some people on the right might say. Um, so I think I, pr- I perhaps would have a chance of getting elected, uh, depending where I stood. I think if you're well-known in your local community and you've got that similar respect and enough people know you, you've got a chance, particularly in Hampton. You, you need two or 300 votes in Hampton. You know, I mean, if you get your mum, your dad, uh, your granddad, your grandma, and half a dozen kids to vote, you've got a chance. So I would hope, because I think we need more plain speaking. We need, you know, we need less key messages and more plain speaking. Today in 2023, Paul Bristow has tweeted 133 times, a favourite topic being local eateries. (laughs) Is that a good look for Peterborough? I don't think so, in in a time when people can't really afford to go out to eat. And I don't know what the deal is, whether he he pays for his food or he doesn't pay for his food, whether he claims it back on expenses or, or whatever it may be. And I know what he's trying to do, he's trying to get around the city and say, look, I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere, I'm everybody's mate. But I think, you know, the last one I saw was him with a massive pizza that I think costs him about £20. And then you've got Les Anderson telling people to eat for 30 pence. Mixed messaging? Maybe. And I think he'll pay for that at the ballot box. I think he will. I, I don't think he'll hold on to his seat. I think he's, he's veered way too far to the right. I mean, I helped him before he got elected. I, I helped him with a bit of media stuff and what have you. I regret it now. But Lisa Forbes was worse. I mean, he's a very visible MP, isn't he? He he does. Yep. We do see him in Parliament. We do see him out and about in the community. Big check. With his big check. <laughs> to which, you, to which, me. Which didn't have Conservative on it the second time around. When they no, no, when it was photoshopped out, yeah. By comparison, Shailashvara also covers the south half of the city. In the same time period, he's tweeted five times. I, I don't know that he's... Been in the paper. I don't know that he does a column in the paper. No, he doesn't. No, no. He asked a question recently at Prime Minister's question about Burley being <laughs> uh, the potential host of a, an international uh, show jumping event. What do you mean the uh, the place where they hold a show jumping event every year yeah, called the Burley the Australia? Yeah. Um, is his lack of visibility a problem? It's quite funny because when I worked for BBC Sport TV, they used to send me to Burley every year because I lived 10 miles away. <laughs> I was the Burley horse trials correspondent. Um, I, I think Charles, you know, is in one of the seats, one of the few seats, I think, that might not be under pressure at the next election. It's a very, very blue, safe seat. I'm not saying any Conservative seats are safe. I think Paul Bristow's in a very different 
position, which is why he tried to get rid of some of his constituencies in the uh, the constituency reshuffle and why even some of his own party went against him locally. I think for that reason, Paul feels he needs to go out and about, he needs to do things, he needs to be vocal, he needs to say things, he needs to appeal to a certain base, which is a shame because I think underneath it all, having spoke to him a few times before he got elected and spent a bit of time with him, I don't think he's that person really. I think he's... You know, he, he, want, he, he wanted to get elected at all costs. I mean, he went to Middlesbrough to try and get elected. He went here, there and everywhere. He was a York City fan for a bit. You know, I don't know what happened there. Um, and, and fair play, you know, there, there seems to be this group of people that just want to get elected and, and ambition is key. Um, but I, I think at the start of all this, I think his, his heart was in the right place. I think it's not anymore. I think it's about ambition. It's about Paul Bristow. I'm sure he cares about some of the things he talks about in Peterborough. But it's just having the... Self-awareness. You know, we're in a cost-of-living crisis where people can't afford... People at work are having to use food banks to put food on the table for their kids. And you keep going to restaurants and holding up big pizzas and fancy breakfasts. It's just... Can you not see? You know, wandering around town on a pub crawl with a big cheque, £48 million. You know, money actually not secured by the Conservatives, really. You know, it was really sec- it was it was secured by a combination of Peterborough City Council and the combined authority. But they don't want to say that because it's led by a Labour person, Nick Johnson. You know, it's it's ridiculous. It's disingenuous. Um, and then to to go around town with this forty eight million pound cheque, uh, and I got attacked because I said, well, you know, that's fine, forty eight million pound, brilliant money for the city. Can we have the rest back that you've took from the grants? Because there's about seventy million missing. Um, and, of course, you get the right-wing attack mob straight away. But it's the truth. You know, mil- tens and tens of millions have been taken out of this city from the government grant. So to stand up and say, well, look what I've done, I've got 48 back. Well, great, but just have a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of awareness about it and a little bit of, you know, this is brilliant news for Peterborough, we're going to redevelop this area of the city, that's great. But then to have your little mate pull out a comedy cheque you know, with the Conservative Party written on it, that's not your money, that's our money that you took. It's not the Conservatives' money. And by the way, you shouldn't be using council comms to do that. It's against the law, civil law. We like to finish the podcast with some quick-fire questions. Okay. What's your prediction for the outcome for May's local elections? I think it'll be... I think it'll be up to Peterborough first. I think the numbers will be there for a coalition, and I think it'll be up to Peterborough first to decide whether or not that coalition goes ahead. I might be wrong, Conservatives might get wiped out, but I doubt it in Peterborough. What hidden gem is there in the city that everyone should look at to go in the next 12 months? Oh, without a doubt, uh, Rail World. Yeah, a mate of mine, an old DJ buddy of mine called Brian Pierce runs it. Um, there's a beautiful, well, there's model railways, but there's a beautiful green space there, uh, right in the middle of the city. If you know where Fairmeadow Car Park is, if you go through the car park under the railway arches, and it's just there, and you can go and spend some time there. A lot of people go volunteering there. It's a beautiful bit of nature right in the middle of the train tracks, just across the river. It's beautiful. Should the council sell the personalised number plate of the mayor's car? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Get what you can for it. Put it on Facebook Marketplace. What should the council do with Cathedral Square? 
anything but what they're doing at the minute, which is nothing. I mean, it literally is. I mean, I've, I'm boring people now. I banged on about this since it was built. You know, it's just, a, in the summer, it was just a vast area of concrete that nobody could go on because it was so bright. You know, I said at the time it needed, it needed landscaping, it needed trees, it needed, you know, and, and particularly at Christmas. Come on, you know. Like five or six years ago, I came up with a plan. I went to um, the city centre management at the time and said, right, you know, I've got this plan. I'm going to get the eateries around the outside of the square. I've got these people contacted. You know, we're going to have all these lovely Christmas huts. And in the middle, we're going to have a small ice rink, open air. And then the huts are going to lead through the arch into the cathedral. Then we're going to have local artists on Cathedral Green selling their wares. And all the artists are all up for it. That was, well, not six years ago now. It was eight years ago now. And I left it with them. And it's never happened. It's couldn't be bothered. So we got the Wurzels to come and play one summer, for, for whatever reason, I was talking about the Wurzels on the radio. And I contacted the council. I said, wouldn't it be great to have a, a, f- a festival in Cathedral Square over a weekend in June? I said, I can get the Wurzels for £3,000. I said, there's the number. I've made the introductions. They really want to do it. Nothing happened. So it, it's this apathy, you know, and, and the Cathedral Square is a wasted space. You know, the fountains were hardly on last year. They may never be on again, I don't know. And if they're not, do something with it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what you, what would you. The trouble is, it's such a vacuous space, but it's a natural amphitheatre. And I was having this discussion with with somebody the other day. In fact, it was Andrew Pakes, the Labour parliamentary candidate, and he said, "You know, Peterborough's got this amazing centre, and they do nothing with it." What, so, I mean, I'd put it out in the newspaper. What would you do with Cathedral Square? And if you're listening to this, what would you do? If the council came to you, I and mean, this is an additional one as an aside, if the council came to you and said, Paul, we want you to organise Christmas this year, mm-hmm. this is your budget, you've got six months, would you do it? Yep. You'd take that on? Yeah, absolutely. I'd want paying, but I'd do it. I want paying a lot, because I'd do it for the good of the city, really, because I think, you know, it could be fantastic. Lincoln were turning people away last year. And they've lost some of their stalls. They're not going to have such a big market. So I did repost that for Councillor Steve Allen. Um, didn't get a response. I tend not to get responses these days. <laughs> um, oh dear. I've known Steve a long time as well. And he's, he's a good old boy, really. Um, but, yeah, of course, if it, look, I, I have offered help on numerous occasions. It's not just me. I know other people have too, the likes of Toby Wood and all these people that, you know, have got the best interest of the city at heart. And just because we pick people up and say, that's not right, can't you do this better? What about this? What about that? You know, I work in a creative industry. I've been a creative ever since... I was 18, you know, in in radio, in TV, in my own business or whatever. Utilise the creatives. Utilise the people in this city that have been around a long time, that want the best for it, that just see it dropping down. And, you know, and I've I've experienced the excitement of the 90s when we had a massive nighttime economy, when we had a busy daytime economy, when we had the shops. And, yes, it has to be different. We've not got the shops and we're probably never going to have them. So what do we do? In five years, ten years, fifteen years, because if they've got a plan, I ain't seen it, and if they have got one, I'm happy to read it. Finally, name two things that you think the council should do that would raise turnout in the election. What's going to get people out to vote? Freaky babs, freaky babs at the polling station, or free food. Put some free food on. 
free transport to the polling stations. Do you think we should go down the Australian route and make voting compulsory? Yeah. I, I think I think that was a mistake from years ago. I mean, it, it should have been compulsory anyway. You should be made to vote. And if you want to spoil your ballot paper, fine. It should be electronic. We do everything on our phones these days. You know, if we can do our banking on our phones, can we not be trusted to do voting on phones as well? More people would vote. But then there are vested interests in that, aren't they? They perhaps wouldn't want too many more people to vote, some people. And then others would. You know, have you got an ID card? Oh, I'm sorry, you can't vote. Well... Didn't we poo-poo ID cards a few years ago, but now all of a sudden you've got to have one to vote. What, to stop people voting? Or to stop certain people voting, perhaps? Maybe. Paul Stainton, thank you for joining me on The Politics of Peterborough. A pleasure to be talking into a microphone yet again. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Paul Stainton for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul Stainton. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you get each episode as soon as it's released. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at PoliticsPBORO. Please let us know what you thought of the episode. Also, big thank you to the university and in particular Vice Principal Jamie Jones this month for letting us record the episode on campus. If you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to hear on the show or any questions you'd like us to put to our guests, you can email us at politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. This episode of The Politics of Peterborough was created, hosted, recorded and edited by me. We'll see you next time.